because we're a normal family, comparatively. <laughs> I mean, watch the news. <laughs> That was mine, the normal thing. She stole that from me. It's not your thing. We are normal. You know, we do have counselors. <laughs> Father Hubley is very good. No, no, that's the last thing that we need. Why do you say that? Because then everybody's talking about Look, it. Look, what are you... Why do you have to be so close-minded? You see, this is the attitude. I'm not close-minded. Ugh, what are you doing right now? This is who you are. Why can't you just talk about things, huh? Talk! <laughs> you know, I have to say that you're actually exhibiting some of the very traits that seem to jump off the page in Michael's book. Who? Uh, you. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, it's not a book. It's pieces of construction paper. You sound a bit close, Martha. Hey. <laughs> Eileen, you have no idea what I have to put up with. When I got married, I didn't just get a husband. I got a whole freak show that set up their tent right across the street. if they stayed there but every day every day they dump a truckload of their insane family dreck into my lap how would you like to sit through two people in their 60s fighting over who invented the lawn the lawn and then the brother i live in an apartment i don't even have a lawn raymond has a lawn but you can't blame him when you see who the mother is she has this kind of sick hold on the both of them and the father's about as disgusting a creature as god has ever dropped on this planet so no wonder the kid writes stories i should be writing stories my life is a gothic novel and until you have lived in that house with all of them in there with you day after day week after week year after year you are in no position to judge me yeah have you ever felt like deborah you are in no position to judge me. Until you've been in my house, until you've been in my marriage, until you've seen my family, until you know my parents, my in-laws, you fill in the blank. You are in no position to judge me. That statement really resonates with us all on so many levels. But especially as we're going through this series, This Is Us, and we're looking at relationships and how we navigate through those relationships, uh, how God is to be a part of those relationships, we can really feel in a sense that this is uh, judging me. Uh, but that is uh, just farthest from what we're trying to do as we go through this series. It's not about judging anyone. And actually, as a church family, uh, we really try to have a judgment-free zone. Uh, God accepts you where you're at, but loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. And that's not a judgment. That, that's, a, that's a benefit. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about correction. We're going to talk about correcting children, correcting kids. Uh, but as we start to think about that, we need to realize that uh, if we're going to correct kids, we need to ask ourselves, how do we respond to that idea of being corrected? 
Are we in a place that people can correct us, beginning with our own Heavenly Father? If you've said yes to Jesus, if you've asked God into your life and you want to follow him, there will be days where he, as is our Heavenly Father, wants to correct us. And as we learn to walk in that, then it helps us, those of us who still have kids to influence in our lives, whether they're in our homes still or whether they're grandchildren, nieces and nephews, whatever the story is, whether they're our children but they're growing up, we're going to have to be a part of their lives and there's going to be moments where they could use some correction, not in a judgmental way, where we could use some correction, we have to figure out how we handle that, and do we actually accept it? Do we grow through it? And then as we grow through it, in a sense, we bring something to the table to, to help correct the kids in our lives. And if you have not said yes to Christ, uh, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be judgmental or pick on you, um, I, I think you're not as equipped to be in this process of correcting kids as you are if you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, if you're living that kind of um, concept out. So when we talk about this, we have to ask again, how do we respond to correction in our life before we get into correcting the kids in our life? Now, the writer of Hebrews is talking about his, our relationship with God and how God corrects us. And we can see it from that a point of view, but we can also see it from the point of view of God being a perfect Heavenly Father, and He corrects us. And so we can see both angles, both perspectives coming from the passage we're going to look at, and, uh, and, and that, that's, a, that's a great thing that we can see it on both sides, that, that He corrects us, and then in turn, we're involved in children's lives and some of the principles that he uses, we can use also. Now, now I, I've got to just say this. Uh, none of us come from perfect families. We talked about that the last week, maybe even the week before. No perfect examples. So as we get into this, sometimes we get hung up with the image we have of fathers, of parents, because of the experience we've had. And uh, that, 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 that can be huge moving through that. If we've had a situation where we have not had uh, a parent that's been there the way they ought to be, um, then when we think of God being a parent, God being our Heavenly Father, uh, we, can, we can get stuck on that a little bit. And, and that's okay if you understand that and you start processing through. Again, my thought is that you don't have to be stuck there no matter what your situation is. You can say, wow, that was my situation, but now I have this opportunity to have God be my heavenly father, and I get to see how it can be done uh, correctly so I can have some correction. So we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning in the second part of verse 5, and just uh, follow along with me. Have you forgotten how good parents treat children? and that God regards you as his children. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. Isn't that the tension some of us live in? We, we, we want God guiding and correcting us, and that includes discipline, but it, sometimes we get crushed by it. 
Sometimes we get crushed as we start to see areas in our life that we can grow in, we can become better in, and it just weighs us down. So there's this, this balance, there's this tension, and that's okay to live in tension. So we don't shrug off God's discipline, but we don't also get weighed down by it so much that it crushes us. It's the child he, that is God, loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. As we unpack this, we're going to remember that our being disciplined or disciplining somebody else needs to come out of love. And when it doesn't come out of love, it gets all messed up. But when we look at God, we can say his discipline in our lives, whatever form that takes, is coming from perfect love. Perfect love. Sometimes you and I as parents have a little bit of mix in there. Yes, we love our child, but we're also pretty irritated with our child. They've done something, and, and, and we want to make them pay at least a little bit for what they've done. And it digresses a little bit. When it comes to God, he disciplines out of love. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. Uh, the writer is writing some Hebrews that are in just a difficult, difficult, difficult time. It's training, it's not punishment. The normal experience of children, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? It's a great question, because sometimes you and I actually would rather just have God lay off, let us do our thing, let it do it our way, and we would like an irresponsible father or God. But he's not that way. He's engaged, he's aware, he uses the circumstances around us, not as punishment, but as training to get our attention. Again, he accepts us where we're at. We don't have to get up to his standards for him to say, I love you as my child, but he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. For those of us who have younger children and see abilities and, and just uh, talents in their lives, uh, when we see how they're living, we see their personalities, and we take them where they're at, but we want them to grow. That's a normal thing. We want them to take that raw, in a sense, diamond in the rough and let it really shine. And God does the same with us. We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. Every time you see that word holy, it means living separate unto his way. God is holy himself. He, he operates on his own system. He's not limited by anything. As a Christ follower, you and I try to be holy, not self-righteous, but we try to live our lives, our whole lives, not just a segment of our lives, unto him. We separate our lives to him. We are a utensil in his hands. If you go to the Older Testament, you'll see that the utensils used in worship were dedicated to God. They were only used for God. 
But we have the imagery still there as we live life. If we went to Romans 12, we would say we give our whole life to God, our ordinary life to God. And as we do that, we give it to him and we live his holy best. And that's what he's hoping for us, not to deprive us, but to give us all that we can have and be in this chapter of life. At times, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. You ever rubbed your hand over some unfinished wood and rubbed it against the grain, and immediately you get splinters? And that's sometimes the way discipline feels to us. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And when you and I are maturing and mature in our relationship with God, again, that never, you never arrive, but we're in that, on that path, moving in that direction, that is what life is all about. Because someday when the second chapter of life begins, eternity begins, we will be complete. The sin nature, it will be gone. Sin won't taint the new heavens and the new earth, and it will all about being mature in our relationship with God and enjoying him for eternity. And it won't be when we're in a big room just singing songs with angels flying all around. We'll be in our, our place to be, and it's not clearly explained. You can take a little bit here, take a little bit here, but it is going to be wonderful all those pieces that feel to be missing from your life will be satisfied and complete in that experience as we are in that second chapter of life. So as we think about discipline, we've already talked about this idea of discipline, this definition of discipline is this. Discipline is correction motivated by love. Correction motivated by love. And it's this idea that it's not punishment. That, that's some of the thing that's wrong with our, our prison system. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but uh, there are some people that obviously are in the system and they do not want to be corrected. But, but, but instead of just punishing, this idea of correction, change. And so when you're a parent or you influence kids' lives, and God does the same with us, he's not trying to slap us down because we got out of line. He's trying to correct us, and the reason he's correcting us is it's motivated by love. He wants us to be the best we can be. I grew up in a home where uh, I was uh, into everything, and I'm kind of joking and I'm kind of not joking. I got a little... Spanking before breakfast, after breakfast, midday, after lunch, all day, you know, just because I was always into something. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. I didn't need it. Well, I did need a talking to, but I wasn't listening when I was getting a talking to. So a little tap or whatever wasn't damaging me, but it was getting my attention. Every child is different. Cindy will tell you this story. All her dad would have to say is, Cynthia! And the tears would come. She, got, she had, her attention was on her dad. Me, I'm just like, do, 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 get this over with so I can get on to what I want to do. And I needed a little attention getter. 
And, uh, you know, I did not uh, grow up in a, in a perfect home by any means. Uh, this is a little picture of us when, we were, when I was young, and there's my dad. But again, I really came to know that my dad and mom's correction was motivated by love. Even that one time where I got spanked, and it was discovered that I really hadn't done anything wrong. And I thought I had my dad over a barrel. Some of you may remember this. What does D say? He immediately said, Dave, or he actually said David, that's when I'm in trouble. David, have you done anything this week where you deserved a spanking and didn't get one? Uh, yeah. So I guess we're even. I'm not bothered by this. And on he went. I was, it, and he was right. He was absolutely right. Absolutely right. When it comes to this idea of discipline in the form of it, uh, the idea of correction is so important. Zig Ziglar says this, A child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. That will happen. When you and I as parents or ones that influence children do not step in and discipline as in desire correction, if that goes too far, they will be disciplined by the greater world. As simple as letting your child get away with cheating and someday maybe he or she will cheat on their taxes and it will be discovered and they will pay a price for that. And every once in a while, we hear about that. So as we think about correcting kids, our bottom line, we're starting with that, so don't get like, ooh, it's sermon's already over, bottom line. Wow, is this. Disciplined parents, discipline. Disciplined parents, discipline. And it takes a lot of work. I didn't really believe this when I was growing up. And my father would say, this is, you know, a hassle for me to be doing this, disciplining you. I don't take any joy out of it. I'm like, yeah, right. But when I became a parent and we started doing these things, what a hassle. If it doesn't mess up my world, I just like to look the other way and not deal with it. That's a lack of discipline when being a parent. So if you're going to be disciplined, you're going to be thorough, you're going to look at your child or the children you influence, uh, you can't afford for their benefit not to be disciplined and discipline them. Discipline your son or daughter in his early years while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin his or her life. And all of us could find a story or two where parents were hands-off. Sometimes they dodge a bullet and nothing bad happens. But where parents were hands-off, didn't discipline, and it's caused consistent problems in that young adult's lives because there wasn't consequences for their action. They were not corrected. And it's putting them on a trajectory where they, someone's got to get involved, or they're going off the rails. I always used to love, especially as a youth pastor, when I would have uh, a student, uh, sometimes it was a guy that was kind of always bucking the rules, and they would graduate from high school, and one of their first announcements was they were going into the military where they could do their own thing. 
And I just kind of laughed to myself because that wasn't going to be the case. Discipline parents, discipline. I love this uh, lady, who she ta- how she talks about the connection of being a friend or being a parent and what all that means. All three of my kids are mad at me right now for like completely different, unrelated reasons. All three are mad at me right now. For those of you who struggle with math, that means that 100% of my children are angry with me right now. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care. You know why? Because I am not their buddy. I am their parent. They are angry at me because I parented them. My number one job as their parent is to love them. And loving them does not mean making sure they're always happy and get every single little thing they want. Loving them means raising them into healthy, decent human beings who I would actually want to hang out with someday. That's what loving them means. Until my kids are adults, I am not their friend. We are not on the same level. I'm the authority. My child's well-being is more important to me than my child's opinion of me. My job is not to be liked by my kid, and I don't take it personally when my kid doesn't like me. And honestly, if my kids like me 100% of the time, I'm probably failing at parenting. So listen, parents. I know this parenting thing is really, 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 really hard. I know. And I know you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to be strict when it's necessary, and then your child gets upset at you, and then you give in. Don't do that. Don't give in. Hold your ground. And I hear some of you parents say things like, oh, my little kid is my best friend. That sounds really cute and all, but let's just be honest. If you're like 30, 40 something, and your best friend is an eight year old, like that's just weird. That's weird. (laughs) So, undisciplined parents. First of all, and these are just uh, three ideas. You could probably come up with 20 ideas, but here are three common ones. Uh, Undisciplined parents frequently rescue from consequences. Frequently rescue from consequences. Kids need to know what they plant will grow in their life. They need to have consequences. That's not to necessarily punish them and hurt them. It's hurting them when they don't realize that there's a cause and effect in life. I remember when the girls were first starting their first real job, and uh, the way things are today, I said, all you need to do is show up on time with a smile, and you'll be a star employee. Because there's a lot of employees out there that don't even get that yet because there wasn't consequences for their actions. Paul talks about planting and getting what you plant. You cannot fool God, so don't make a fool of yourself. You will harvest what you plant. And we can say, kids, you're going to harvest what you plant. And to some degree, parents, you're going to harvest what you plant. Now, we've talked about parenting. We've talked about false guilt, overconfidence a couple weeks ago. So I'm just going to leave that. I don't need to unpack that again. You can go back a couple weeks and hear about um, that idea when we talked about promises versus principles. But you cannot fool God. So don't make a fool of yourself. You harvest what you plant. And that happens at every 
level of life. Yes, you can find an exception to the rule out there. You can find an exception to that. But if you build your life on exceptions in all these areas, you're going to just find yourself heartbroken. So rescuing, sometimes they call that helicopter parents. Also, there's this idea of frequently, parents undisciplined are frequently are inconsistent. When we talked about technology a few weeks ago, one of the things I said to you, don't take this list and go home. And if you have young kids or teenagers, have some edict from on high. Dave said this, now this is what we're going to do. When you've been un- inconsistent up to that point, I said that whole conversation needs to start with, I'm sorry, I have not handled this aspect of parenting properly. We're going to try to do a reset, and it's going to be a gradual reset. And, you know, and then you've got to be consistent with it. I learned this myself when I was a camp counselor at 19 years old, and I've shared before, I couldn't believe these parents would leave their kids with me. But that first night, I set the rules of how we were going to function as a cabin. And if you cross the rules, there was going to be consequences. And they got it. And then the rest of the week went better because we could lighten up. But if I had started loosely and tried to lighten up on Tuesday or Wednesday, it just wasn't going to happen. So the idea of being consistent. Make sure then what you say you can follow through with. I'm so sick of the way you haven't cleaned your room. You're not watching TV for five weeks. What? Can you enforce that? Do you want to enforce that? Maybe it'd be better to say, that favorite show this afternoon, you're not watching. But not five weeks. It's got to be consistent. You've got to do something that you can actually manage, that you can follow through with. Parents, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. Instead, raise them with Christian discipline and instruction. Be consistent. And then that means you need, I need to be consistent in my life. If I want my kids or the kids that I'm trying to influence, I need to be consistent so they see it in my life. So the consistency isn't just with how you, uh, in a sense, manage, discipline, correct, all those kinds of things. It also comes back to your relationship with God and how it shows up in your life. If you're inconsistent, so many times I meet uh, some kids uh, that, uh, that are now my age, and their parents thought spiritual training was good, so they would ship their kids off to some Sunday school or something, but they would never go themselves. And then when those kids grow up, it's like, well, that's what you do. You know, you ship your kids off, but you don't go yourself. And so, again, that whole idea of being consistent. Um, also, frequent, parent, undisciplined parents frequently are not in agreement, Mom and dad, or if you're organizing something, uh, need to be on the same page. Uh, When you're not on the same page, it creates all kinds of problems, and there's the extreme of it. One parent is, you know, trying to correct and discipline. The other parent might even be in the room, and they're rolling their eyes. That sends all kinds of mixed messages. That reminds me of this little commercial. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom! Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom! Don't tell mom! 
Want to tell mom? Yeah. The best stories you'll ever tell start with Don't Tell. Don't tell dad. Start yours in the new Santa Fe. Inconsistency. That's funny commercial, but that actually is not a good commercial. If you still have kids in your life and they're in your home and you're doing this secret back and forth and you're not in agreement and they know that, uh, that just breeds for trouble. Two people will not walk together unless they agree to do so. Two people will not parent well unless they agree to do so. Can two people walk together and this whole idea or go in the same direction unless they are on the same page, and uh, we need to understand that. And those conversations are ta- to take place not in the earshot of your kids. Um, should never know. I, I know with Cindy and I, uh, uh, when, they were, when they were younger and they would try to play each other against us, uh, I would say, girls, I love your mother more than I love you. They're like, what? Because like in 10 or 15 years, you're going to be out the door. I'm going to still be married to your mom. I got like another 30, 40 years if we're both healthy together. I know where my bread's buttered, so I'm not crossing her. So I don't care what she says. That's what we're doing. We're on the same page. So, um, you know, in agreement, in agreement uh, that they know that uh, you're in lockstep. So real quickly, what do disciplined parents look like? Uh, first, and this may sound a little hard, expect first-time obedience once they are understood. Once it's understood. And you know your kids. Sometimes it takes a little bit of like, hey, we're doing this. And they're like, what? And they really didn't hear you. But once they understand, then that's expected. When we first started out, was. One, two, three, and they were always compliant at number three, so then I started, so now we're moving to twos. One, two, it happens now. They were hearing it, and uh, we all do this. It's called selective hearing. I remember when they'd be out on the swings, dinner, swing, swing, dinner, girls, do you hear me? Swing, swing, and if I went to the deck and said, ice cream. What? Ice cream. They would be like flying off there. They were hearing me. It was selective hearing. Not going to play that game. Children, obey your parents in all things because this pleases the Lord. Some of the lack of obedience or disobedience that takes place in our homes is because there's been such an inconsistency and they know the game is this. It's like on the fifth or sixth time. It's when they raise their voice, when they get angry. That's when it's time to obey. Tighten that up. Close the loop. Make it smaller. And again, that doesn't mean today if you've let it go on and on and on. I said it once, and now there's all kinds of, you know, you know, kinds of problems. You you move them to that direction. And uh, sometimes you make it into a game. Sometimes we make things into a game, and then all of a sudden they're into it. It becomes a lot easier. Uh, Correction is more for attitude than actions. As a busy little boy, my actions were happening beyond my attitudes. When my attitude was right, that's what you want to go for. The actions were after that. 
And there would be sometimes I was just in motion. Things are happening and activity, blah, blah, blah. I'm into everything. I'm touching before. And it's the attitude that you're going for. It scares me, and it scared me. One of our kids, their actions were always compliant. And I used to say to Cindy and our parents, she scares me because I'm afraid that, she, that we have her actions, but I'm not sure we have her heart. And when she's out of the house, will she just go do what she wants to do? Because she just knows it's better to act this way in this house because it's safer, it's easier, it's, 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 she can just move along, there's less resistance, but the minute she's outside of these four walls, then she's going to do her own thing. It's the attitude you're after. The actions do count, but it's the attitude that you're after. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, and you can see that in their hearts. Sometimes, sometimes our kids actually reflect us. We wonder why they're grumbly, why they're, and then we, if we set back and we were like a fly on the wall, we would realize that when we're in a place of having to uh, be corrected by somebody else or be held accountable by somebody else, we have a bad attitude. So the kids have actually picked up our bad attitude, and they're reflecting it. So it's, it's, it's on us as much as it is on them. Part of this is do not correct in anger. Um, I, when my mother said she was too angry to spank or deal with whatever was going on, I knew I was in big, big trouble. It didn't happen often, but that put more of the fear of God in me when my mother said, I am too angry to act on this. And we could unpack this in lots of ways, but Paul talks about, in your anger, do not sin. How many times when we're trying to correct and discipline, it's digressed in, they've irritated me, they've wrecked something of mine, whether it's my plans, whether it's a possession of mine, and I am angry and I want them to pay. I want them to know how much this meant to me, so I want them to pay. Gone off the rails. Don't correct in your anger. Now, I think it's okay to express that I am angry without losing it. There was a couple times where I would say to the girls, I am so angry with you. Didn't raise my voice, but they knew that I found whatever they had done. It's funny, the times that happened, I can't remember what it was, but it, it just, I said, my blood is boiling right now, and I am not going to respond to this or react to this because I know it would be wrong. I would sin in my anger, but I am angry. You need to know this isn't just, I'm just not sloughing this off. I am angry about this. But I didn't go off the rails, didn't lose control in that kind of a thing. Don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them, and this is a Odd thing, if 30, 40 years ago we talked about that, nobody would give it a second glance. Today, there's been so much abuse in the name of discipline that spanking is out the door. I, I think there's some balance. I needed them. But you know what's funny? My parents changed. 
I can't remember if I was sharing this in uh, our small group, but there was a time where I was 16, now had my driver's license, and I was not doing my schoolwork. I was blowing it off, and it was very painful because my dad was a school teacher, fortunately, in a different school system, so we only got this second hand. Thankfully, the Internet wasn't around where they would have emails going back and forth. Anyway, progress reports came out, and I was doing badly, and my dad said, you are grounded for the next two weeks. I'm like, What? Grounded. I was very social. I did not want to be grounded. And I actually even said to him, Dad, would you just spank me? Spank me for an hour. I don't care. Use a belt, woo whatever, because I could take that. I did not want to be grounded for two weeks. See, my dad knew what would cause correction in my life. You need to know your kids well enough. You need to know those you're influencing well enough. What gets their attention? What corrects them. Obviously, it needs to be sensible, timely, and equitable. Sensible, timely. Sometimes we put things off, put things off, put these off, and then one little thing triggers it, and we are going to correct them for three months of bad behavior when we should have been correcting them from day one, and it would never have gotten that far. Equitable. The punishment needs to, the correction needs to fit the crime. When this isn't the case, parents don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. That happens when we are not sensible, timely, and equitable. Uh, This verse gets some playtime every once in a while. This verse says, you know, bone for bone, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And all this verse is saying, it's not saying this is the great punishment. It's just saying make sure the punishment fits the crime in all areas of life. Not only in parenting, but in your civil government, in everything. Make sure the punishment fits the crime. So down below, I've got some uh, evaluation kinds of things. Punishment versus discipline. And uh, first one is inflicting penalty or correction and growth. Obviously, on the scale, the purpose of it is we want correction and growth. It's not just about giving them a penalty. Uh, We move on to uh, focus. And focus is, you know, you can either be past misdeeds, you're always bringing stuff up, or future correction, correct actions, my parents were good at this. They, when they settled something, they really didn't bring it up again. I, I'm pretty amazed. I have to work on that. My parents did a better job on that. They would deal with it. The correction would be enacted, and uh, it, it was never brought up. And if I did something similar to it again, unless there was a direct correlation, it was not brought He goes, this is just like that. That just never happened. And I've had to work on that with my own kids, that I don't do that. Uh, The parents' attitude, hostility and frustration, or love and concern? Two spectrums. Where do you fall? Are you hostile and frustration? And that's why you're punishing. Or is it out of love and concern because you know where this is going. There's been times where some of my kids, I've been maybe a little bit firmer on something, and they kind of, why, why is this so big deal? And I'll say, because I've seen it in my own life, and I want you to avoid it. 
So forgive me for being on this area so hard or so frequently or whatever. It's because I failed in that area and I am trying to save you from that. So I'm sorry. It's a trigger in my life because I really am uh, doing this out of love and concern, not hostility and frustration. I'm hostile and frustrated with myself because of my actions. And then the other one, punishment versus discipline, child's respond. Are they functioning out of fear and guilt or security? Somehow, even when I was in high school, I did get the idea that when there was correction in my life, my parents had my best interests at heart. So it wasn't this fear and guilt as I got older. It was this idea that they were trying to create security in my life. I may disagree with them, but I knew what their intent was, so it changed my response. And today, uh, you know, 55, my dad's 90. When he says something today, uh, he's not uh, punishing me, spanking me, but I know he's looking to my future and my security. He wants me to be the best Christ follower, husband, dad, pastor, etc., that I can be. So that's why he says the things he does, even if I don't really care for it at the moment. So, parents, the bottom line is this. Discipline, disciplined parents are, disciplined parents are discipline. And uh, it's, it's, yes, it's work, but it's so worth it when it's motivated by love and its desire is correction. Would you please pray with me? Great Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We're thankful for how practical it is. Uh, Lord, I would just ask that no matter where anyone is in this room with their age and their stage and those listening online, uh, that there would be something in this that helps us influence children in a better way. And I pray that if, if that isn't in our wheelhouse, that at least it would help us as we interact with you, knowing that you are a perfect loving father. So the things that come into our life are from the hand of a loving father trying to shape us, guide us, and direct us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.